Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you your investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright, and we'd like to welcome today for the very first time, Chris Lostrino, founder and CEO of King's Crowd, the first independent ratings and analytics platform for the online private markets. He speaks to us from the headquarters in Walnut Creek, California. Chris, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Hey, Charlie, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun, and I'm excited to uh, get to chat with your audience here. Hey, well, we're excited for it. Uh, Chris, you're, uh, you've got a, a, a graduate a degree from Boston University. You spent several years in the fintech space, and then you launched King's Crowd a while back to focus on the private market evaluation. So let's start with King's Crowd. What does it do for whom? Thanks, Charlie. So first off, I hate to have to correct you here. I actually graduated from Boston College, and uh, if they weren't if they weren't such a rival, I wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> but as terriers and eagles, you know, we don't always get along. So had to mention it. <laughs> but, no problem. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for setting us straight. All right. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, listen, so yeah, it started King's Crowd a few years ago. And as you mentioned, Radiant Analytics uh, platform for the online private markets. But what does that actually mean? A few years ago, the traditional venture capital private equity world was kind of flipped on its head when something the Jobs Act was created and was fully enacted in 2016 that basically said, hey, let's take the offline private market worlds. By private market, I mean everything that's not Google or Facebook and listed on you know NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Let's make all of these private companies accessible to the everyday investor via online marketplaces that resemble that of NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, except this time it'll be for private companies. And so now there's this beckoning world where billions of dollars are being transacted into private companies from pre-seed when they're an idea on a piece of paper to pre-IPO when they're getting ready to launch and go public that individual investors can invest into. And it's our job, our role in this universe is to be kind of that Bloomberg Morningstar solution for this new uh, world of investing in private markets. Okay, so, so Chris, tell us a little about the process here. Uh, let's say that uh, there's an individual and they don't have a whole lot of money and uh, they're interested in private markets, okay, at least in, in studying it, evaluating different opportunities, et cetera. How does this process work? So if you are an individual investor, you now have an opportunity to invest typically as little as $100 into these startups. In the past, if you were an angel investor, you were writing at least $50,000 to $100,000 checks at a bare minimum just to get into the deal. Now that, that minimum has been you know, blown down to $100, and you often can even use a credit card. Um, so the way to get started as an individual investor um, is to go to marketplaces like republic.co, wefunder.com, netcapital.com, 
seedinvest.com. And we can provide these links uh, for you as well if people want to go check them out. But these are the marketplaces. This is where you can create a profile in you know two or three simple steps. You create a profile on these platforms. You can put in your banking information or your credit card information. Um, and then literally you're set up and ready to go. And then it really comes down to as an individual kind of setting your strategic investment priorities. Why do you want to invest in startups? How much do you want to invest? How many companies do you want to hold? Do you have a certain thesis that you want to stick to? You know, doing all the traditional things you should be doing, whether you're investing in public or private equities, and then, you know, let the games begin. Okay. So, so let's say someone has gone on to uh, one of these sites and these sites have, uh, they list the, uh, the, the private uh, investment companies that people can invest in. Is that what they do? That's correct. Yep. Okay. And then, so why then would they go to your side after that? You evaluate those companies, all of them, some of them, five of them. Tell us about it. In the traditional public equity world, we have so many research solutions at our fingertips from, you know, the Wall Street Journal, just for learning what's going on in the markets, to the market watches and the, you know, even the New York Times will cover the markets and and then you have all of your, your, your data tools. You got your Bloombergs, your Morningstars, your S&Ps, your Moody's. There are so, so many research tools providing information and research on these equities that you're investing in. We are very much that same solution for this space. We rate 100% of companies that are raising capital in this new space across every one of the major marketplaces. All the ones that I already mentioned, we're collecting 100% of the companies and putting them through a quantitative benchmark rating, where we basically look at all of the companies that are available for investment at a certain stage of company, and then we're benchmarking them against one another across key dimensions. We then take about 30% of those companies and we'll go and do a further deep dive and essentially initiate analyst coverage where we do qualitative research, talk with the founders, do that kind of additional lens um, of providing context to investors and provide those more lengthy investment research reports as well. Okay, so what's your business model, Chris? Whom do you charge to do what? So we charge investors a simple monthly subscription fee to access all of our ratings, uh, analyst reports, research, industry analysis, news, educational resources that we provide. And we charge anywhere between $10 and $50 a month to access our various levels of ratings and analytics. What we do not do is we do not charge companies that are raising capital to get a rating. We don't charge platforms uh, to drive investment to their platforms or to drive leads to their platforms. We do not do anything that would cause us to not be solely and completely focused on serving investors with unbiased and actionable insights on the companies that they can invest in. Okay, so so you are working on behalf of the investor and you are basically their research firm and you research and you do uh, you give analytical and analyst reports like stock analysts do in in the public marketplace. That's what you do. And you charge only the investor for doing that. Correct. Spot on. That's exactly right, Charlie. Okay, so so let's turn now to the private markets. Why should someone consider investing in the private markets? It's a great question. So if we go back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, companies would debut and go public, you know, anywhere from being worth, what, 25, 50, 100 million dollars, maybe a couple hundred million dollars. There was still a lot of potential upside in that business. 
Now, typically when companies go public, they're worth well north of a billion dollars. So your opportunity to get into companies when there's still a ton of room for growth has just been diminished in a dramatic way. And more companies than ever are staying private for much, much longer. And so the reason that you want to get into the private markets is because the profile of investment opportunity that's available to you has a much larger potential growth curve than that of traditional public equities. Now, to be clear, it also has a much higher risk profile, which is why putting in small amounts of money is probably the the right approach, especially when starting out. But your upside potential is obviously dramatically more. And, you know, I think a great example you know, Microsoft the other day passed a trillion dollars. If you even want a 10x, just to be clear, they're going to have to grow to like $10 trillion. That's a lot of money and extremely hard to do. A lot of startups are raising at five to $15 million when they're starting out. So if they grow to 50 million, you've already gotten a 10x. If they grow to 500 million, you know, you've already gotten a hundred X. So the, the numbers are just so, so different in the private markets in terms of upside potential. Okay. However, there's tremendous risk, right? Well, what percentage of private companies go IPO? Percentage of private companies at IPO, that's actually a very good question. I, I don't know the actual answer to that. What I will tell you is that the typical you know, industry metric in venture capital is they're looking for one to three of every 10 investments to turn out exceptionally well. And then they're looking for five to six of those to go to zero. And they're looking for two to three to kind of hang and do okay. Essentially, you're looking at, you know, maybe a 20 to 30. It's a little bit like baseball, right? If you're hitting 300, you're actually doing exceptionally well um, when it comes to early stage investing. So tell us, is this strictly venture capital, which is on the ground floor with typical or often with only theoretical models? Or is this also private equity where there is somebody who's owned restaurants, let's say, for 10 years and they just want to expand from their current five to, to 50 or, or 150 or something? So is this private equity or is it strictly venture capital stuff? That's what's really interesting about this space is that there's there's actually a pretty wide blend um, of investment opportunities. So there's definitely, you know, let's call it 60, 70%, probably falls more into that venture capital bucket where you're investing in early stage, high growth companies, pre-seed, seed, series A. But then there's also a whole swath of companies that are doing a couple of things. Either they're doing revenue share agreements where, you know, they're already making five or 10 million in revenue, but they want to add two new locations to their brewery, or they want to go and distribute into grocery stores and they need some upfront capital. And so they'll raise capital and essentially once, you know, they get into those stores or once they build a new location, you'll actually start to get paid back on a monthly or quarterly basis until you get a 1.5 times a return or two times return or whatever they kind of set up front. And then there's also a nice number of companies that don't fit, you know, kind of the traditional profile of venture capital, but maybe they don't even fit that of, you know, traditional bank loans. So they go and they say, hey, listen, we have five or six restaurants and we're looking to add three more, you know, but we need a a pretty extensive amount of capital up front and they'll go and they'll raise capital online from, you know, 1,500, 2,000 fans slash customers that are really into their service. So there's a whole mix of things occurring here. And the last thing to mention is there's even late stage secondaries. Uh, you do typically have to be an accredited investor still to, uh, to access these opportunities. But think about getting in on you know, Robinhood before it IPOs in another month or two, or getting into you know, 
Clear, which just IPO'd recently and, and be able to get into that before it IPOs and essentially get to play in the upside of the IPO. You could start getting in, you know, three, six, nine, 12, 24 months before they actually IPO and buy up secondary shares that are available from employees or early investors. Okay. Well, what incentive is there on the part of the companies themselves to work through the private markets, through the Jobs Acts opportunity, as opposed and and having to work with a lot of people, typically who are not professionals, not that knowledgeable, and that can be a nightmare for a business, right? What's their incentive to work with those folks through companies like yours versus working with private equity and venture capital professionals? So couple things there. It's a great question and one I enjoy answering. Um, first off, capital is a commodity and capital is the lifeblood of a business. And end of the day, one of my advisor's favorite sayings is the, the only 100% certainty that I know in startups is that when you run out of money, you die as a business. And all those that don't run out of money, keep going. Um, and so making sure that you have capital in your bank account as a founder running a company is the one of the most important things you can do as a business, right, to ensure your survival and hopefully ultimately your success. I think something that people have learned over the years, founders especially, is that wherever you can get capital, you go and you source that capital. And the capital stack is very, very deep. You have venture capitalists, you have bank loans, you have revenue share loans now. There's so many solutions accessible to founders. And one of them is utilizing these online private markets. Now, the reason why it's not just a a wonderful commodity that you can go and, and pursue from a new place that didn't exist a few years ago. But in addition to that, think about from the founder's point of view, there's a recent study that showed, you know, VCs think they provide all of this value. And I think it's like over 70% of uh, VC-backed founders say they get no value from their VC outside of the money. And so what VCs think they're providing versus what they're actually providing is very, very different. And so founders, they come into this space, they're used to being told by VCs what their valuation is going to be. They're used to being told how much money they're going to raise. And then they're used to being told a board seat's going to be taken and that they now have to deal with that person and make sure that they agree with everything that they're doing as they push forward as a business. All of those things take the power out of the hands of the founder and put it into the hands of the venture capitalist. And it can be very uncomfortable and, and unpleasant for many founders. Many have had a not very good experience with that. So in this world, you can set your valuation. You could set how much money you raise. You don't have to give up a board seat. It really puts a lot more control back into the hands of the founders. And now I can tell you, I have 2,100 investors who have backed Kingscrat at this point. If I spend an hour dealing with those 2,100 folks a quarter, I would say that's a lot. Basically, they don't bother me. I send them an update each quarter, let them know how we're doing. I usually get some really nice responses back or a how can I help type of thing. And other than that, I'm basically left alone. And a lot of them are customers and ambassadors of our business. So it's actually been absolutely wonderful. And I can't tell you how much more of a pleasant experience it's been for me than with some of the other investors that I've worked with over the years. Well, that is very interesting, Chris. That's not a a response I would have expected, but it's it's not a market that I understand necessarily anyway. Uh, So let me ask this, you know, just in the past few months, ESG has absolutely exploded in the media world. And the Wall Street Journal is just full of stories 
about companies that and, and, and they're starting to be critical is what they are about companies that claim to be green, but they're not really green, but they, you know, they're raising money as a green company and they're saying stupid things, but it's working because there's more capital for green products than for others. Are you finding the same kind of thing in the private market? We definitely see a lot of movement and ESG means so many things, right? I, I think everyone right now like is trying to- Like infrastructure, it means whatever you want it to mean. It, it means whatever you like. <laughs> you know, it's it's a really, it's a it's a funny thing. Um, and I, I don't know that anyone has really defined it exceptionally well. People are trying to figure that piece out. And, and now the media is catching up to, to this underlying current that's been going along for a good long while here. Um, but yeah, in the private markets, we of course see that. And if if anything, we see it even more than the public markets. And the reason being is, you know, a lot of the innovative companies are focused on, you know, clean battery technologies and new power sources and, you know, all of these. And by the way, you know, a lot of young founders, this is, this is ingrained in who they are and what they care about. And it's kind of this whole new paradigm. So a lot of startups are starting out from day one saying, you know, we want to be a certified B Corps or we want to, you know, we care about ESG. And so, yes, the, the very simple answer is yes. We have seen a ton of investment in clean energy technology over the past six months. Um, we've seen a ton of investment in female founders, a ton of investment in minority founders, which also kind of falls under that bucket. Um, in a much bigger way than we have traditionally seen in the venture capital and private equity world. So it's emerging, it's happening. We're watching it every day. We're writing about it all the time. You're right. It's definitely something that's coming to the forefront right now. And we're definitely seeing it play out. Remind us here, how old, okay, is uh, King's Crowd? So King's Crowd is a little over three years old. You know, in, in some ways it started out as a blog about five or six years ago, um, and, you know, here we are, though, but the industry only came to fruition about five years ago. Right. With the Jobs Act and, and the like. So given your three years of experience uh, building upon your previous experience in private equity, venture capital, uh, private markets, etc., what would you say are common misperceptions by investors, advisors, etc., uh, that you wish that you understand and you wish that they better understood. And are you talking about misperceptions of this industry? Yeah, private market. There was this going notion early on in, in kind of this new online private market space that anyone who could raise real capital from venture capitalists would. And if you're raising in this space, it simply means that you can't raise capital from them and you must be a lesser company. And that's probably one of the most aggravating and disappointing things to hear, just because, you know, I hate to remind them, but the venture capitalist for the past, you know, 15 years has prided themselves on saying nine out of 10 venture investments fail and that they whiff on almost all of their investments and that they often pass on a lot of exceptional investments. These are their words, not mine. So I'm not trying to, to say anything negative about them. I'm just trying to take their words and let them know that they're not painting a very pretty picture as a fiduciary of other people's money. So my question has always been, can we do better than nine out of 10 failing? Can we, can we just get to two or three or maybe even four? What if we could do that? What if we could quantify some of this stuff? And that's a big part of our thesis at King's Crowd. It's not just about democratizing access to these investments. 
but we've actually built a proprietary patent-pending rating algorithm where we quantify nearly every metric that we can on these organizations, in addition to, for the first time ever, having access to the past two-year financials of the businesses, having real valuation data, knowing exactly how much money they're raising, be able to ingest all of that data, benchmark them against all of the other available opportunities out there, and then watch how they perform over time to, again, begin to identify predictive analytics that can say, if you invest in companies with these characteristics, they'll tend to outperform the market over time and start to get away from this one in 10 wins and get more towards that three, four, five, maybe even six in 10 wins. That's the type of thing that we want to accomplish and we think is possible in this market. The other thing that I'll say is that you know, venture money works for a very few set of companies, a very small set of companies. Only 1% of companies in the United States get funded by venture capital. So there are a lot of exceptional businesses out there that just don't fit the profile of needing to go from, you know, a million to 10 billion, but do fit the profile of going from a million to a hundred million and will be really great businesses that will return exceptionally well for individual investors. And so this world, there's so many fantastic investment opportunities out there. And if you take the time, you do your diligence, you're going to have an opportunity to win and do really, really well in this market. Chris, you're doing uh, an excellent job of uh, building a building a co- compelling story and case here. Uh, congratulations! And and what you're doing is certainly it sounds like is definitely needed and uh, should be greatly valued here. Uh, we need to move on for just a minute here. A couple of gen- general questions that we like to ask all of our guests. One is, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Mm. So if there is a venture capitalist that I have all of the respect in the world for, um, it's Andreessen Horowitz. They're probably the most successful firm in venture capital out there. Um, Amazing founders of that firm and have done some really, really incredible things over the years. Um, Very notable name out here in Silicon Valley. And one of the founders, Ben Horowitz, wrote a book called The, The Hard Things About Hard Things. And it's basically the story of an entrepreneur and going through the struggles and stripes of trying to build a company that he himself went through. Um, It was the first book I ever really read on startups, and it's probably still one of the most impactful for me. It's just such a wonderful story about just how gruesome and how challenging and how ugly it can get as a startup founder. And I think as you're starting to think about investing in startups, understanding that, understanding how ugly, how tough, how challenging it can be really makes you think about that management team, really makes you think about your investment because it is not an easy ride. It's one fraught with tons and tons of challenges. Um, And anyway, this book does a wonderful job of kind of setting up that mindset if you're going to be a startup founder or investor because it's it's quite the ride. Okay. Again, the title and the author? Uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things. or It might be The Hardest Thing About Hard Things. I'll, I'll have to look that up. Uh, and it's That's by right. Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz. Hey, thank you. No one has recommended that yet on our show, so we really appreciate it. Sure Second thing. question is, what keeps you awake at night, Chris? What keeps me awake at night? Oh, man, not much because I run a business during the day and it knocks me down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if there's one thing that keeps me awake at night, you know, I would say we are in a moment in time with the business at King's Crowd where we're still educating the market in a very big way. Most people still don't know that this whole world exists. To, to frame it, 
about a million people have invested in private companies since 2016 when, when the Jobs Act was enacted, which means 299 million more Americans who have access to this asset class haven't partaken. It would be the greatest falter of my life if I don't help make sure that we get as many of those 300 million people to partake in investing in this market and knowing that it could be a really powerful asset class that can be very transformational in terms of wealth creation for millions and millions of Americans. And I need to make sure that we execute on our goals and our vision so that that actually becomes a reality. Okay. So Chris, thank you. Really appreciate that. Where can our listeners go to learn more about uh, your strategy and what you guys do and how you do it? Yeah. So if you'd like to learn more, you could go to kingscrowd.com. You could sign up for a free newsletter. You could utilize our free portfolio tool, start poking around. Uh, That's the best place to get started. And obviously, if anyone has questions or would really like to connect directly with myself, um, my email is chris at kingscrowd.com. Okay. Thank you very much. So Chris, we appreciate you being here. Final words for our listeners, please. If you haven't invested in this market, get yourself educated. Get to know this space, allocate a portion of your investments each year to getting into the private markets. It's both exciting and potentially transformational. And, and the best thing I can say is just get started. Take that first step. Go check out these platforms. Go check out King's Crowd and start to orient yourself to this really, really exciting new space. Chris, thank you very much. And again, we really appreciate you coming on with us here today. And our best wishes to you and King's Crowd for continued success here. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Charlie. It's been a wonderful conversation. So you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you and welcome your comments at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. You can access all of our previous interviews and shows at strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.